Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. something I've been wanting to do for a long time. It's a analysis that I've been thinking about for months. Jordan, who's monitoring the chat right now, can tell you that I ran this theory by him at least six weeks ago. I've been hesitant to do it, and I wanted to do it before the election. What I'm going to propose to you tonight is an alternative way of thinking about Archbishop Viganò. What I'm going to propose to you tonight is that he's actually working in the best interest of Donald Trump, not in the best interest of the church. I'm, I'm not going to impugn his character. This is not an attack on Archbishop Viganò, for whom I still have extremely high regard and gratitude for all the things that he's done for the church. Instead, what I intend to do tonight is present to you a critical analysis, at the end of which you will either agree or disagree, and that's fine. We can walk away friends, but we will have all gone through this mental exercise together so that we can understand exactly, and with a critical view, what we're looking at in 2020, ecclesiastically, religiously, spiritually, politically, socially. Good evening. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, Mike here with Restoring the Faith, alone in studio tonight, live streaming. Um, just a couple days before All Saints, I'm very happy to be with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I have a couple slides that I want to show you. I have some I have a presentation to give to you. And I'm I'm not here to convince you of anything. And I, I'm not even sure that I'm convinced of everything that I'm seeing uh in 2020. So here we go. The first thing is that we have to recognize that in 2020 as Catholics, we are absolutely starved for leadership. We are. Um, a lot of you ask me very often to comment on the the breaking news, the, what, what the Pope said the other day about disordered relationships, about the beheading of people in Nice, France uh, today. Um, I can't keep up with it. I, that's not the nature of restoring the faith. As you know, this is a hobby for me. This is something that I do in service to the church and in service to you. Um. I have been wanting to talk to you one more time before the election. And, um, and I hope that this is a productive conversation. 
we are starved for leadership, and that is why I think so many people have coalesced around Archbishop Vigano. Now, this is just a smattering. I promise you this is a random smattering. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. But as you can see, every single major Catholic, conservative, Orthodox, or traditionalist platform has featured Archbishop Vigano. I've never once mentioned him on Restoring the Faith. I've not mentioned him in a live stream. I've not mentioned him in a podcast. I haven't gone there. You deserve to know what my thoughts are on it since everyone else has already given you their thoughts. But as you can see, look, Dr. Marshall has spoken about him, Michael Matt, Steve Skojek at 1 Peter 5, lots and lots of people. LifeSite News has gotten in on it. My question to you, though, is how much do we actually know about Archbishop Vigano? So that's where I would like to start today. And I'd like to uh, actually just start by giving you a little bit of his biography because I think a lot of people don't know that much about him. He's a very enigmatic figure. He's an enigma. He is a bishop, an archbishop, a career diplomat for the Vatican who is in hiding. He's literally in hiding. He has spoken out against the Pope. He has done a great service for the church. He single-handedly exposed the Theodore McCarrick incident in his notorious 11-page dossier that he released in 2018. I will note, incidentally, that we are still waiting for the results of the McCarrick investigation two years later. We were promised the McCarrick report, and we have not received the McCarrick report. But the question is, who is Archbishop Viganò? Who is Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò? Well, he's an Italian man. He was born, born in Italy, and he was ordained to the priesthood 52 years ago in 1968 during the pontificate of Pope uh, Paul VI. He has spent the majority of his life as a diplomat for the Holy See. He has served as a diplomat around the world. He's been in places like the United Kingdom. He was the Apostolic Nuncio, which is the top diplomat, like the, um, uh, what are those called? The top diplomats. He was that for Nigeria. He has served in Iraq. He was stationed in Strasbourg. In the last few years of his active service to the church, he was in the United States as the Apostolic Nuncio for about five years. Other than that, he has spent the preponderance of his time in the Vatican city-state. He has served in the um, as a as a uh, like I said a diplomat. He, for eleven years, he was the personnel chief at the Vatican uh, within the Secretariat of State. For two years after that, he was he was promoted and he was actually the Secretary General of the Vatican Civ- City Governor Governatoriate. Okay. So this is a man who has a lot of information. He knows a lot of people. He's been a career diplomat. I don't think he's ever been a parish priest. He's not that kind of archbishop. He's a tutelar archbishop. He doesn't have an actual diocese for which he is the bishop or the archbishop. Um, I think it's important that we notice that because this is a man who is obviously smart. He's shrewd. He knows how to handle himself in a room. He knows um, he knows how to navigate extremely complex 
and backstabbing organizations like the Episcopate of the Catholic Church. Um, so that's just a that's a that's a flyby on his career. We're going to go back to his life towards the end of this podcast, I think, when I'm going to make the point. But he was the ambassador to the United States, essentially the nuncio, which is like the ambassador uh, to the, to the U.S. Uh, for about five years, from uh, uh, 2011 to 2016. Um, in 2016, he reached the age of 75. He tendered his resignation. His resignation was accepted a couple months later, and he uh, retired. It was about two years later that we received the famous 11-page re- report, which I am all in favor of. I'm glad he did that. I think it did a lot of good to the church. But that 11-page report exposed the rampant abuse of seminarians and, and minors uh, by Theodore McCarrick. That report also uh, noted some of the other villains that we've been talking about recently. Tell me if any of these names ring a bell to you. Uh, Cardinal Betchu. Cardinal Betchu was recently in the news as having defrauded a bunch of people. He has resigned in disgrace. Cardinal Worrell in Washington, D.C., whom I'm ashamed to say I've actually uh, shaken his hand and I, ha- I, haven't, I haven't been able to wash it off enough. Um, I think it's important. Uh, one, one more point here um, while we're on the life, and then I'll, I'll show you. I'll, I'll talk about some of these visuals. I chose these visuals deliberately. I chose these visuals deliberately because these are some of the most prominent pictures of Archbishop Vigano. Here he is pictured uh, above my shoulder here with Barack Obama. Here he is over my other shoulder here presenting an award, a Lifetime Achievement Award, at a dinner at a fancy hotel to Cardinal McCarrick. He obviously, there he is with Pope Francis. There he is with Pope Benedict. There are pictures of him snuggling with Pope John Paul II. Snuggling. Um, I couldn't find that picture. The Remnant published it in their physical copy, and I just couldn't find it. But those pictures exist. I think I even once saw a picture of him as a priest with Pope Paul VI. So this is a man who knows people in important places. He knows people with power. Okay, That is who Archbishop Vigano is. You need to understand that if you're going to walk through this critical analysis that I'm giving you. Okay, so that's the first point. There are books being written about this man. His excellency has captured our imagination. He is enigmatic, like I said. He is somebody that we are longing for. We are pining for a leader. He has said some incredibly true things. He receives the deference and the adulations from many I could have populated this entire slide with various tweets or other social media postings from prominent people who support him, but this one from Father Dave Nix just caught my eye the other day. I think this was from yesterday, where he basically says, uh, if, you don't, if you're not with him, you're against us. My question to you, though, my question is the following. If His Excellency is making himself available for in-person interviews, if he is available for books and for articles, if he is broadcasting messages and sending missives to various Catholic publications around the world, how are we supposed to interpret that in light of the fact 
that he told us in 2018 that he was hiding for his life. He's running for his life. Now, he actually told that to several people. Um, Edward Penton, who reports for the National Catholic Register in 2018, reported that Cardinal, or sorry, Archbishop Vigano is hiding for his life. He's running scared. That was reported widely. It was in the Washington Post. It was in NBC News. It was in the New York Times. It, of course, hit all the Catholic publications as well. And why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't he be running for his life? Why wouldn't he be in fear that the Vatican city-state, that the secret police there are going to look for him, going to find him? So I looked it up. I wanted to make sure because I, I had this hunch. I said, you know, I think that I think that the Vatican is a member nation state, so to speak, of the European Union. They do transact in the euro. They are in all things but name members of the European Union, but they do participate in a couple things that I thought were interesting. The first is that the Vatican is a member of Interpol. Interpol is like the combination of the CIA and the FBI counterterrorism unit, but it's for all of Europe. And uh, sure enough, you can see over my shoulder, the Vatican City State is recognized as a member of Interpol. What does that mean? That means that if a man is truly wanted by the Vatican, then the entire counterintelligence and spying assets of Europe can be mobilized to find him. In other words, Archbishop Vigano is not hiding in a cone. Because if he were, he would be found. He would be found by European Interpol agents, by the Swiss police or somebody. So then I thought, okay, I wonder if he actually is on the most wanted list or their equivalent. Interpol's list of uh, the most wanted people is called the Red List. It's listed here below. And I did a search for Vigano um, as a family name for a male of Italian nationality. And out of the thousands of people on this list, his name was not present. Okay, that's not surprising. I, I highly doubt that the Vatican would put him on the red list. Um, that's, that's probably, there's probably a public red list and then there's a real red list. So I'm going to believe His Excellency that he is hiding for his life that the Vatican is looking for him, and therefore that the assets of Interpol are being used to track him down. Okay? The other thing that you should know that the Europeans have that they developed in the mid-2000s is something called the SIS. And what the SIS is is this map next to me, and the map is bigger than the EU. The map encompasses a lot of the EU nations, and some others. And it is a centralized intelligence-gathering database network, which means it's sort of like the NSA. Now, the NSA knows that I was going to do this podcast because they've heard me talking about it with my friends for weeks. The NSA knows that I have a complicated view of Archbishop Vigano because they've been listening to me, just like the S. IS grid can listen to anybody in Europe. 
So my question to you, ladies and gentlemen, is there are only two possibilities here. Okay, Either His Excellency is in hiding because the Vatican is looking for him because they are going to bring him to justice because he has committed, supposedly, by their standards, ecclesiastical crimes in speaking out against the Pope and revealing privileged information. He has broken some laws. Either he's in hiding because they're looking for him, or he wants you to think that he's in hiding and he's not really in hiding and no one's really looking for him. Now, I am not going to disbelieve His Excellency. I'm going to take him at his word that he reported, that Ed Penton reported, who's a reporter that I respect very much, that Archbishop Vigano is afraid for his life, that he's running from the Vatican, etc. If you follow that train of thought, and if you think that Interpol is going to get you, and if you think that essentially a, 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 the secret police of Europe are potentially tapping your phones, potentially uh, looking for a digital signature with this SIS system that can probably do what NSA can do around the world, then you're going to be extremely careful with what you do. You're not going to give in-person interviews. You're not going to be showing up in Munich, standing next to Michael Matt and John Henry Weston. So there's that. Okay, on to the next slide. Who is Steve Bannon, and how does this whole thing play out? Well, I need to give you an introduction to Steve Bannon, and then you'll understand why I'm talking about him. Steve Bannon has been in the news lately. He's been in the news a lot lately. Um, Steve Bannon was the former chief of staff of the White House. He's the architect of the Trump campaign. But even more than that, he's one of the most well-connected people in the world. He is somebody who used to run Breitbart News. We all know about Breitbart. He's somebody who was at Goldman Sachs on Wall Street. He was a top-level investment banker. He was a film producer. He's a naval officer. Um, you could say that he's a triple threat and then some. Steve Bannon is a very smart man, very shrewd man. He was the chief of staff of the White House, and he departed the White House in 2017 after the Charlottesville riots. Supposedly, he was the person who put the words in Trump's mouth when Trump said that there were good people on all sides. That comment got him in a lot of trouble, and he has been accused of being racist, Trump has, ever since he made those, those comments. Steve Bannon has started a Catholic institute in Italy. It used to have the backing of Cardinal Burke and no longer does. Um, and he's done quite a few things since he's left office. I could sit here. I was reading about his post-administration activity, so just the last three years of his life. And I could sit here and list it to you, the places he's been, the things he's done, the people he knows. Um, and that would be a very long and boring podcast. It would kind of be like you know, reading the book of numbers with the genealogy and stuff. Some people would find it very interesting. Uh, many of us would not. Suffice it to say that Steve Bannon is one of those people who's extremely well-connected, well-heeled, and he's Catholic. How do I know he's Catholic? Well, because he's Catholic. He's been interviewed by Michael Voris. He talks about the church, the problems in the church. Here he is 
speaking at the CIC, which happened just this past weekend. Who else spoke at CIC? Archbishop Vigano. So here is my theory. And then I'm going to get to a little bit more of the presentation. My theory is that if Archbishop Vigano is on the run, like he says he is, if he is running from a state-level police force, like he says he is, and that state-level police force is a member of Interpol and can leverage all of the espionage assets of the European continent, then I have to say that there are only a few places in the world that a man who's on the run like that can hide. And he can only do so with the assistance, in my opinion, of a superpower. It is only a superpower who can hide somebody who is wanted by the European Union, right? I mean, tell me where I'm wrong here. And again, uh, Jordan's going to be collecting up three or four questions, and I'm going to answer a couple objectives here. And at the end, I'm, I'm going to give you the so what in terms of how I look at this information. Um, but I look at this information and I say, okay, it's more likely than not that he's telling the truth. It's more likely than not that Archbishop Vigano is, in fact, a very wanted man. And it's more likely than not that because of the things he's exposed, the financial corruption in the Vatican Bank being number one, and the moral corruption amongst the episcopacy, number two, that a lot of people will not hesitate to arrest him. Do you think that Macron in France, who just today shut down all the churches in France, do you think that he would hesitate in arresting Archbishop Vigano? Do you think that Her Majesty's secret police, who have gone into stage four lockdown, especially in Wales and Ireland, do you think that she would hesitate, they would hesitate in arresting Archbishop Vigano? They know who he is. He was one of the top diplomats for the Vatican around the world. 52 years, a career diplomat. They know who he is. He was the second-ranking official in terms of the assistance to the Pope at one point in his life uh, for a couple years when he was in Vatican City. So they know who he is. Do you think that these people would hesitate? So my contention is, is that he's being hid or protected by the United States. Now, why would Bannon do it? Why would Bannon do it? Okay. That is the question that I think a lot of you are asking. That's that's the key question that you have. And this is, I think, the crux of where the logic leads us. Steve Bannon, to say that Steve Bannon, who was he was arrested on a boat this past summer on a yacht. They actually like showed up, the Coast Guard showed up to the yacht while it was uh, out in the water. And there were a bunch of rich people on there, connected people, important people. We don't actually know who all was on the yacht. 
But we know Bannon was on the yacht, and he was arrested. Isn't that a great cover? Isn't it a great cover that you were fired from the White House? You're, so you're the architect of the campaign. You got Trump into office. You're one of the most important and influential and connected people in Washington, D.C. You elected a president. You were his chief of staff. Don't you think it's a great cover that Steve Bannon was fired? Don't you think it's a great cover that he was arrested and, he'll, and, and acquitted or will be acquitted? No one cares about this supposed crime that he committed. That hasn't stopped him. He showed up to CIC. He showed up to Boris's set. He's got the laptop. You guys know what laptop I'm talking about. The Hunter Biden laptop. He's got, he, he, he literally physically has one of the copies of the laptop. So my question is, isn't it plausible that Bannon is still working for the re-election of Donald Trump? Of course it is. Of course it's plausible. He said that he is. He said that he is. So if Bannon is a Catholic and he's so extreme that even Cardinal Burke can't put his name on this institute that he founded in Rome, then clearly, ladies and gentlemen, clearly... we know that Steve Bannon can segment Catholics into those Catholics who are activated and who will vote for Trump and those who won't. Because here's the dirty secret about this election. This is something that you know and that I know, that the Democrats know, and that Trump knows. It is the Catholic vote that will decide the 2020 election. It's the Catholic vote. Why? Because especially in the upper Midwest, in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan, in the Rust Belt, in Ohio, more Catholics vote there than any other religion, any other denomination. It's the biggest voting block. It's the biggest prize. The Rust Belt, the upper Midwest, is going to deliver the election. Okay? Who in the administration is perceptive enough to figure this out. Who, who's working for Donald Trump, who has engineered his success so far, is able to segment the Catholic vote in such a way that they can perceive who are the real movers and the shakers? It's Steve Bannon. It's not Catherine O'Neill for Catholics for Trump, that blonde. Trust me, if you've watched her for five seconds online, you know that she doesn't get it, okay? We're talking about somebody who is shrewd and cunning, who can segment the Catholic vote. I want to show you something. Do you think that this is random? Do you really, really in your heart of hearts think that this is random? What are we looking at for those who are listening to the podcast and not watching on YouTube? We are looking at a president of the United States who tweeted Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò. He tweeted him. Do you think that that's random? If you do, I've got a bridge to sell you. It's not random. And I don't think that it's Trump. I don't think that Trump, while he's a smart man and sophisticated and shrewd and potentially part of the New World Order, I don't think that he is going to be the guy to figure out 
that I'm going to align myself with an archbishop who's in hiding in retirement, I don't think he's going to figure that out. I think it was Bannon who figured that out. And I think it was Bannon who recognized that the Taylor Marshall faction of the Catholic Church, and I say that with all due respect, I really do admire Dr. Marshall. I read his books. I watch his podcasts. I keep up with him. I would consider us to be friends. I've corresponded with him in multiple mediums. I've shaken his hand twice, once in 2013 and once in 2018. So no disrespect to Dr. Marshall. But Taylor Marshall gets tweeted by the President of the United States. Taylor Marshall gets tweeted by the President. Archbishop Vigano gets tweeted by the President. Even the Atlantic, even the Atlantic has figured out that there is a connection between Taylor Marshall Catholics, Archbishop Vigano, and Donald Trump. This is an excerpt from one of their articles recently. I'm not making this up. If the left can see it, we need to see it as well. And there are conclusions that we have to draw from all this, right? Now, look, I know that there are a lot of comments out there, and I have asked that Jordan cull the comments, and I'm going to answer questions at the end of this podcast, but only the, t- only the best three, because we don't want this to go on for hours and hours. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is pretty much what we need to know. Now, I want to get into just a little bit, a little bit of what Archbishop Vigano has said that, I, that just rings false to me. And again, I'm not here to impugn His Excellency. I am not here to say that, look, um, he's doing anything nefarious. I am here to simply ask the question, of, hey, what does the publicly available information demonstrate to us? Can we critically examine the situation that we're in in 2020 um, and, and, and be better Catholics for it, okay? So wait for my conclusion before you write me off, before you write this video off, before you think I'm saying what I'm not saying. Hear me out, okay? First point in terms of what Archbishop Vigano has said. Um, I, want to z- I want to zoom in on something that he said at the Catholic Identity Conference. And he starts talking about the, very apocalyptically, very end of times, very much um, that theme rings true in 2020, doesn't it? Doesn't 2020 seem like a weird year? I mean, that's an understatement, isn't it? It's perhaps one of the understatements of the year. 2020 is a weird year. Got a lot going on. Cities are burning. Riots, looting. A plague. Lockdowns. No mass for Easter. The high feast of the liturgical year. Shutdown is happening again. Second shutdown is happening again. It seems like we are fulfilling something, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel that way? And Archbishop Vigano says it. He he says it. He he, he appeals to the apocalyptic themes of 2020. But what he says, what he actually says, is that uh, 
is very confusing. It's very confusing because he talks about Donald Trump and the re-election of Trump in apocalyptic terms and in a way that approaches what I would say is improper. I think it's improper. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I stand behind that statement. As you can tell, I'm being as measured as I can tonight. I want to only say what I can 100% stand behind because the stakes are high and this is a very important topic and you've asked me to talk about it and I've been waiting until closer to the election to talk about all of this. And Archbishop Viganò has been in the news quite a bit the last week. I was going to do this podcast last week, in fact, and then I saw that he was going to be presenting at CIC. And um, I wanted to wait and see what he said. So this is what he said. This is, this is um, an excerpt of what he said. And he's talking about the fact that the church is in partial eclipse. Okay. All right. Now, I watched, I watched Taylor Marshall's podcast. Um, he did it yesterday, but I watched it this morning. And he had Matt Gaspers on with Catholic Family News. And they were breaking down this particular statement. Okay. And um, I can tell my moderators are doing a really good job in the live chat. And we're going to get a lot of comments after this. And that's fine. I, I, I welcome the comments. I, I told you my commitment to you is that I will read every single comment, maybe not timely. Um, but the fact of the matter is, okay, so with the, with the eclipse of the church, and I watched it, watch it this morning so it's fresh in my mind, and, and kudos to, to Dr. Marshall for pointing this out because he actually said, you know, uh, it's, is it possible that, you know, that to have a partial eclipse, is that like when – when the moon is halfway in front of the sun, but it hasn't totally blacked it out, and maybe the the eclipse. This is Doctor Doctor Marshall says this. Maybe the eclipse started in 1917 at Fatima, and it's taking over a hundred years for that to set in, or maybe it took a hundred years for that to set in, and now we are in eclipse. Um, so he at least wondered out loud at that, and 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 I, at this point, I just want to say that. It's very confusing because Archbishop Vigano has said that the church would cease to exist. But the church will never cease to exist. The gates of hell will not prevail. There will never be a time in which the church doesn't exist. There will be no time in which there's no church. Period. Now, it may be a remnant church. It may be small. It may not occupy all of the real estate that we're accustomed to. It may not have all of the smells and bells. But it will never cease to exist. The way that Archbishop Viganò talks about the re-election of Donald Trump is very apocalyptic. And, the, and His Excellency, unfortunately, ascribes to the church a masculine noun of the dissenter, okay? Um, and the church, ladies and gentlemen, is always in the feminine. The church is the bride of Christ. So the church, the church cannot be what Archbishop Vigano is describing as the last resistor who then will cease to exist if we don't vote for Donald Trump. 
Now, I feel like I'm being a little bit unclear at this point, and I can tell in the comments. So I, I, what I just want to say here, and then I'll keep moving on in the presentation, and we can sort it out in the comments afterwards. The church and her existence on earth cannot exist in a contingent manner. Her existence is not contingent on the election of a United States president. Now, if you don't agree with that as a basic premise, then you're not going to like this video and you're not going to agree with what I'm telling you. But nobody has the right to say that the bride of Christ founded by Almighty God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, on Peter, apostolically passed on to us, that that church's existence is contingent upon the election of a United States president, one way or the other. Nobody can say that. And anybody who does say that, unfortunately, has misspoken, at, to, to say it generally, to say it um, as charitably as possible. And I think that that has happened. I think that we have witnessed that. And this isn't the only example, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to just click off for a second. Of uh, I don't have any more slides in terms of what His Excellency has said. But many of you are aware that he wrote a glowing letter to President Trump, an open letter in which he describes the children of light versus the children of darkness. And he places Mr. Trump in the children of light and not in the children of darkness. Now, I have complicated views on that as well, and I don't want to get into it, but suffice it to say that funding the Planned Parenthood hasn't stopped under this president. It's gone up. That the lockdowns and the canceling of the church and the canceling of Easter have gone up. That the surveillance state, that the bioterrorist state has increased. The power of the federal government has increased. Federal spending has increased. Our dependency On debt has gone up. Our financial security has gone down. Now, lots of good things have happened under President Trump. Lots of good things. And here's the thing. We know that we can't vote for Biden. Can't do it. Cannot do it. That's another foundational premise. If you don't agree with that, I'm sorry, you're not Catholic. I agree with Father Altman. If you think that a Catholic can vote for Biden, you're not Catholic. Do you know how many Catholics are going to vote for Biden? Zero. Zero Catholics are going to vote for Biden. So don't say that I'm advocating for Biden. I'm just telling you that the world is more complex. The world is more nuanced than the children of light versus the children of darkness. I would like to think that I am one of the children of light. But I also have an Irish temper, a foul mouth, and, uh, and I fall into grave sins all the time. I offend God all the time. This is one of the reasons why I am trying to promote the holy face, to try to make up for my blasphemy, my profanation of the holy Sabbath, my offenses against the adorable face of our Lord. That's one of the reasons why I am trying to become an apostle of the holy face. For me to blot out the ugliness that is on my face. So I wouldn't even consider myself to be 
in the children of light. How can we consider Donald Trump to be in the consider uh, the, the the children of light? Um, the other thing, and this is just a, this is just a casual example. Obviously, I didn't I didn't prepare a comprehensive list of all the things that His Excellency has said in glowing review of Donald Trump. But if you ever read that prayer that he composed, if you have read the prayer that he composed for the President of the United States, try reading it without envisioning screaming eagles and fireworks behind you and July 4th celebrations. Guys, that's Americanism. That's Americanism. We as faithful Catholics, faithful to the, uh, to the magisterium of the Catholic Church, we know that a representative democracy is not even the ideal form of government. Christ, we just had the feast of Christ the King. It was on Sunday. I actually, in in an ideal world, I would have got this out to you on Sunday, on the feast of Christ the King. Christ is, if Christ is King, then that is the order of the universe, monarchy, kingship. He's not president of presidents. He's not senator of senators. He's not prime minister of prime ministers. He's king of kings. Okay, so this prayer for the president is, um, well, anyway, it's disturbing. And I'm sorry, I don't want to point that out. I, I don't want to be the one to point that out. All right, let me give you, let me give you my, conclusion, my, my concluding thoughts. I'm going to answer a few objections that I think you'll have. Actually, let's flip that. I'll answer a couple objections now. I'll give you my concluding thoughts. I'll ask Jordan to start uh, looking for the best questions. <sighs> okay, so the first objection you may have is, well, Mike, that's all well and good what you said, and I, I get everything that you're saying, but isn't it possible that this man... Archbishop Vigano, His Excellency. Notice, notice, I am being extremely respectful. I'm using his titles. I, I, this is a deliberate action of the will here. I'm, I'm not talking about him the way I talk about Robert Barron. Okay, I have a high regard for Archbishop Vigano, and it breaks my heart that I have to present this critical analysis. And I'll tell you why I'm doing it here in five minutes. So stay with me. But isn't it possible, Mike? that just like St. Paul fell off the horse and had a huge conversion, isn't it possible that Archbishop Vigano had the same thing? Okay. All right. Um, yes, it is possible. That's how grace works. It is absolutely possible. Ladies and gentlemen, I will sit here and tell you it is absolutely possible that after 50 years in the Vatican II Church, that Archbishop Vigano woke up one day and said, Vatican II, it's out. Vatican II is overrated. Dignitas Humani, garbage. Lumen Gentium, joke. It is possible that that happened. It is possible that Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano spent 50 years in the Vatican II establishment and then woke up and said, oh my gosh, this has all been for naught. I need to make up for this. And um, 
And there it is. It's also possible, it's also possible that the man is a politician. He is. He, he, he did that for 50 years. And that he is adept at maneuvering through institutions and organizations. So, look, I know how radical grace works in people's lives. Um, it can be shocking. It can be... People can flip like that. Conversions are real. They happen all the time. I love conversion stories. I don't tell enough conversion stories on RTF. In fact, I've recorded two conversion stories and lost the audio. All you would have is a video of me interviewing some guy and you don't know who he is and you can't hear what he's saying. So clearly the evil one doesn't want me sharing conversion stories with you because they're powerful. People like them. They're inspiring. And they happen. So yeah, it's possible. It's also possible that we're talking about a career politician. 50 years as a diplomat. Okay, objection number two. Isn't it likely, Mike, that Archbishop Vigano has an affection for the United States because he was the papal nuncio to the United States? Isn't it possible that the reason why he's going out of his way to take care of America is because he, have a, he has a love and affection for America and he knows that Trump is our last hope at saving America from XYZ, fill in the blank, New World Order, from Biden, from uh, whatever. Well, let me ask you, I, okay, that's your objection. Can I just ask you, ladies and gentlemen, to the 500 of you that are watching right now and to the, and to the hopefully thousands of you that are going to uh, persevere to the end of this presentation. What is the name of our papal nuncio today? Today, while we're sitting here, don't use Google. Don't look at your phone. Don't look at your supercomputers. What is his name? Do you know his name? My guess is that you don't. My guess is that you don't know the name of the current papal nuncio, top diplomat from the Vatican, the ambassador to the United States, the person who helps select the bishops, the person who helps Rome govern the American church. My guess is that off the top of your head, you have no idea who it is. And that's okay. This is not an indictment. This is just an example of, okay, if he is, the, if, if being the papal nuncio if being the papal nuncio to the United States was the most important job that His Excellency ever had, then, then maybe the theory holds up. But out of 52 years since he's been ordained a priest, he spent about less than 10% of that in the United States. He was the papal nuncio to Nigeria. He was the papal nuncio to other places. He served... Uh, he served in Iraq. He served in Great Britain. He spent, the, he spent a lot of time in continental Europe. He spent the majority of his life in the Vatican. Wouldn't he want to clean up the Vatican? Wouldn't his allegiance be to clean up the Vatican, not to save the political conservatives of the United States? And just one other point on that. If being the papal nuncio of the United States was so important to him, 
Why did he fight it so much? You can even go to Wikipedia. I'm just going to read to you. On 13 August 2011, Archbishop Vigano was informed that Pope Benedict was appointing him nuncio to the United States. Reuters reported that Vigano was unwilling to take that assignment. This is a step down. This was a step down for His Excellency. He was the chief of staff of the Vatican. And now you're just going to go be some diplomat in the United States? Vigano stated that this decision was not what Pope Benedict XVI originally had manifested to him. He wrote to Benedict that his appointment would create disarray and discouragement among among those who worked against numerous situations of corruptions and waste. So he was on to something. He was exposing corruption, banking corruption, financial mismanagement in the Vatican, and they wanted him sent away, so they sent him to be the nuncio of the United States. So if your objection to me is that he, in those five years, developed such an affinity for the United States that he forgot about cleaning up the church, that he forgot about uh, the, the Vatican banking scandal and all of that, then I, I, I find that to, I, I would just ask you to consider how likely that is that five out of 52 years of his priesthood were spent here in the United States and that that is the most meaningful and impactful and important thing he ever did when at the time of his appointment, he considered it to be a step down and being fired. Okay, number three, third objection. Okay, Mike. You got your tinfoil hat on. I got my tinfoil hat on too, okay? So check it out. Archbishop Vigano has been plotting this for a long time. He's been deep undercover. He, in fact, wanted to expose the deep church. By the way, I coined deep church. I said deep church two months ago. When I told you that there would be a second lockdown, which is now happening, and everyone said I was crazy. I coined Jesus Deep Church, but whatever. That's fine. He wanted to expose the deep church. So he stayed underground the whole time because he was going to collect secrets and dirt on all the lavender mafia and the financial mismanagement and the modernists and the Freemasons and all of those people. Okay. That's okay. Let's say that's your theory. Well, I would just counter with a couple questions. And again, I'm not trying to convince you and I'm not trying to shoot down your theory. Wait till I get to my conclusion. Just hang with me. First of all, if that is true, let's say that's true. Let's say that you are right. Archbishop Vigano has been undercover, an agent for tradition for, let's say, 30 years, 20 years, a long time, long enough for him to collect some real dirt on some real people. Where's the rest of it? That's the first question. Where's the rest of it? The only thing we've seen is the 11-page memo. That's really the only, ladies and gentlemen, that is the only definitive thing that His Excellency has. And I'm, and look, if that's the, if I do anything of that magnitude in my life, I'm hanging my hat on it. So don't, don't misunderstand me. When I say that's the only thing that he's done, I'm, I don't mean to minimize it. 
It's a staggering achievement that he took down Cardinal McCarrick, one of the biggest predators to have ever worn the collar. So I applaud him for doing that. So don't misunderstand me when I say if that's the only thing that he's done. But think about all of the missives that we get. And I've been calling them V-drops. You know the letter that comes after P? I'm not going to say the letter because YouTube's doing a big... uh, They're doing a big purge. They're wiping out entire channels. You and I have worked too hard for this channel to be wiped out. So I hope it doesn't happen, but it's going to happen. They're going to purge in two days. So if you're watching right now, good. You may not be able to watch this in two days. But the letter that comes after P or R, S-T-U-V, whatever. You know what letter I'm talking about. If all you have is those 11 pages and you don't have... I call them V-drops because we get them so often. And to some degree, I actually do say it in a pejorative sense because we we get to hear, and this is good, maybe. It's good that we have an archbishop who is willing to speak the truth. It's good that we have an archbishop who is willing to say the tough things. Are there problems with the documents of Vatican II? Of course there are. In 2020, if you're still asking that question, you really need to get off even this YouTube channel. Go hit the books. Get off YouTube. Get off social. Okay. In 2020, if you don't know that there are are insanely big problems with the documents of Vatican II, then you need to just go read them. Okay. So it's good that he's saying that. He talks about Pope Benedict XVI, for example, He says that he's being abused. He says that that he's being held captive. We've never heard him follow up on that. He talks about the third secret of Fatima. I, I don't think we've actually heard the full third secret of Fatima. I don't think you think that we've heard the full third secret of Fatima. But my question, ladies and gentlemen, and this is in response to objection number three, is... Archbishop Vigano, does he know what the third secret of Fatima is? Has he read it? Does he know anybody who has read it? Because he's talking about it, and he's causing other people to do podcasts about it. Look, look at, look at, look at V-Mania. That's, that's the title of this slide for me, anyway. I think one of these images is about the third secret. Yeah, on the bottom of the screen. The third secret was never revealed. That's what he says. But guys, he doesn't actually reveal what that third secret is. He doesn't give you a clue of what it is. He didn't read what it is. He doesn't know anyone who's read it. Or he probably does. He know, I mean, he knows the popes, and I, presumably the popes have read it. Or at least we know John 23 read it. I don't know if he knew John 23. John 23 died before he was ordained, so maybe he met him as a seminarian. Who knows? The point is, if you're telling me that Archbishop Viganò was deep undercover, deep underground for so long, and he was able to collect all this cachet of information, my, my response is, what else, do, what else is there? You gave us McCarrick. You gave us McCarrick in 2018. Now you're commenting. About, look, I, you know what I did? 
as part of the as part of the show prep, I printed off. Oh, that's a good point. I printed off exactly the Wikipedia article for Archbishop Vigano's life. All right. Now, after the after the release of the McCarrick correspondence, the the eleven page dossier which indicts all kinds of bad, bad villains that you and I know are just despicable, like Cardinal World. You know, a lot of people took his side. A lot of people took it. You know who actually endorsed that document and an investigation and gave credence to it was America Magazine, the official magazine of the Jesuits, the SJs, James Martin's Order. The Jesuits, which I have said multiple times on this channel, the Jesuits have done more evil in the world than a lot of people I can think of. Okay, They are an absolutely despicable, wicked, evil organization. Their official magazine initially, 2018, supported Archbishop Vigano in his 11-page letter. Because McCarrick was just that bad. He was that bad. But then, after the release of that, and if you just follow the bouncing ball here, now you have comments on... All of a sudden, we get comments basically every other week. We get comments on the canonization of George Floyd. We get, we get comments on the, um, the plague. I'm not going to say what, it, what it's called, the lockdown. Uh, we get comments on the election. We get comments on the deep church and the other version of the deep. We get comments on the new order of things. We get comments on the Freemasons. We get deliberate letters about all of these things. Then we get a, we get a, 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 a renunciation of Vatican II. We get deliberate critic, criticisms of Pope Francis. He goes out to the Washington Post and calls him a blatant liar. Uh, he's critical of Fratelli Tutti, Tutti Frutti, which is what I call it. He's critical of um, the Pope's uh, statements from just the other day. So, ladies and gentlemen, all of these things are like current event commentator stuff that I do. I do that. Taylor Marshall does that. He does it way better than I do. Other people do it way better than I do. My church does it way better than anyone, almost. So my point is, is that if your objection is that he's going to unload this cachet of incredibly important stuff. Besides the McCarrick report, and besides his leaked letters early on in 2011, I think, of the banking scandal underneath, underneath uh, Benedict, we haven't heard anything new. We've heard reactions to current events. We've heard reactions to current events. And then finally, I just want to say one other thing on this theory. If you told, if you tell me Archbishop Vigano has been undercover for a long time, he's been trying to collect all this information from all these people. Okay, well, consider the fact. Consider the fact that. Uh, and sorry, I keep getting distracted with the comments. Some of the comments are really 
interesting. They're just catching my eye. Consider cultural implications. Every organization has a culture. When I was in the Marine Corps, there was a certain expectation. You behaved a certain way, your family was a certain way, and you agreed with certain values. And to the extent that you demonstrated yourself to be out of step with the values of that organization, you are suspect. And if you're suspect, you are outside of the circle. And if you're outside of the circle of trust. And C.S. Lewis talks about this brilliantly. If you can find it, look for C.S. Lewis's commencement speech where he t- uh, at one of the great universities, like Cambridge or something, where he's warning the students against trying to seek the circles of influence. Because that's ultimately what most people are trying to do. Most people are trying to get on the inside of some circle of influence so that they can be in the in crowd. Life for a lot of people is a popularity contest. Um, if you're trying to infiltrate the circle, you appropriate to yourself the behaviors, the norms, the values of the organization which you're trying to infiltrate. So I will ask you to think this through in your mind. If you think that His Excellency has hatched this plan 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, from the beginning, 52 years ago, and you think that he was able to fit in and not draw any suspicions from the Lavender Mafia, from the Freemasons, from the modernists, if you think he was able to fit in that well, if he's that good of a politician, and he could be, but I'm going to tell you that it is very unlikely. It is very unlikely that somebody who really believes that Vatican II is a false ecumenical council, it's really hard for that person to be a priest for 52 years, and nobody knows it, and to rise the ranks. If you believe that somebody who really believes that the church has been infiltrated, that we are in the final days of humanity, that we are witnessing the third secret of Fatima, if you really believe that, you are not going to be able to keep that to yourself and you are not going to be able to gain the trust of the people who are in power, who are part of the Lavender Mafia, and you know who I'm talking about. With that, I'm going to give you my conclusion, and then I'll take your questions. Okay. First, the point of this video, as I told you in the beginning, is not to impugn the character of an archbishop. The point of this video is to cause you to go down this thought experiment with me. To wonder. Because we don't wonder anymore. We need to wonder. I'm reading a book about wonder. It's called Iris Exiled, if you can find it. It's very expensive because it's hard to find. 
It's a look at the word wonder. We need to wonder at what is being presented to us in 2020. Okay? And I wonder, I wonder whether or not anything that I see, anything that is presented to me, is true. Because I know that there is an objective truth and that it is my job to conform my mind to that objective truth, to reality. That's what I need to do. That's my job. My job is to live in accordance with the truth. Doesn't it seem like there's so much fake news? So much fakeness. Doesn't it seem like you can't trust anybody? So that's that's one of the first that's one of the first things. We are fundamentally alone. We are. And I uh, the the Russian bots at YouTube tell me that my audience is pre- predominantly male and I'm I'm not surprised by that. So I want to speak to the men right now. If you are a man and you are watching or you are listening, I want you to know that you are alone. You're alone. As the husband, protector, provider to your family, as the father of your family, you are alone. That's our that's the that's the hand we've been dealt. It's not supposed to be that way, but it is that way. And that's one of the foundational themes of restoring the faith. That's one of the reasons why I started this thing. Because the day that that occurred to me, I realized that's it. It is a lonely crown that you wear as the priest, prophet, king of your house, as the protector, provider. Do not get comfortable with anyone. You cannot be comfortable in your parish. If you think you have a great priest, don't get comfortable. Don't let your guard down. Never let your guard down. The pathogen that infects our church is so bad and so pervasive. You need to be on your guard at all times. So don't place your faith in prelates and don't place your faith in politicians. Place not your faith in kings, in Caesars, or in presidents. Trust in the holy face. Trust in Our Lady. Trust in the rosary. But besides Almighty God... You're alone. Okay, so that's that's the first one. The second point is we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for our leaders. I got asked on Twitter by somebody who who got uh, who, who just think thought that they got me because I was being critical of something I don't remember what, and they said, "How often do you pray for our Pope?" How often do you, somebody just said, my husband is snoring in his recliner. Oh boy. Wake him up. Give him this video. How often do you fast for our Pope? And I I just want to let you know, 
Um, I do. I pray for the Pope literally every day, almost every day. And I try to keep the Wednesday fast, the Friday abstinence, in accordance with wearing the scapular, which some people keep Saturday as well. And I offer these things up for many things, and I offer them up for the holiness of the Pope. We need to be praying for our leaders, ladies and gentlemen. We need to be praying for our leaders, our ecclesiastical leaders and our secular leaders. We need to pray for Donald Trump's conversion. We need to pray that he becomes Catholic. We need to pray that our Pope embraces the fullness of the faith. Finally, um, and this is to the ladies as well. So I was I was addressing everybody, but I, I I didn't make that clear. And then I'll take your questions. The takeaway from this, my final video before the election, my final message to you, is that is this is all if if it, let's say this is true. Let's say that Archbishop Vigano is really just a CIA asset. Let's say he is. Let's say he's hiding for his life from Interpol and the superpower of the United States under the purview of Steve Bannon is hiding him here. And in, in exchange for that, Vigano is providing a function to reelect Donald Trump. He's activating the Catholics in the upper Midwest who are going to decide the election. Let's say all of that is true. I think that you should still discharge your duties in terms of who you vote for, how you vote, in accordance with your conscience. And the fact of the matter is you cannot vote for Joe Biden. You can't. Even if Carlo Maria Vigano is a CIA asset and Steve Bannon is running him and he is being used to elect Donald Trump, that does not mean that you can vote for Joe Biden. I've seen a lot of comments here on the live stream saying, oh, you're, you're just shilling for Biden. How much is Biden paying you? Are you on the Biden campaign? No, never. Some of you, some of you are going to look at this fact pattern and say, I don't know what to do. And you know what? That's Okay. That's okay. You have some time to figure it out. Take it to prayer. Talk to your spiritual director if you have one. Biden cannot be the president of the United States. But that does not mean, ladies and gentlemen, and people are saying, whose side are you on? I don't, I don't get it. That does not mean that Trump is a saint. He's not. You know who's a saint? Who's a, who is a head of state, the most recent head of state who's a saint? Blessed Karl von Habsburg of Austria. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we had a head of state who was a military man who personally led campaigns in battle and who was also in heaven after his death? Can you imagine the canonization of a U.S. president? What president can you name that would be canonized? Today, Taylor Marshall did a live stream with Charles Kalum, and they were talking about Karl von Habsburg, Blessed Karl, Charles I of Austria. It's fantastic. Um, it was fantastic. Jordan, tee up those questions for me. I'm going to take three questions here in a second. We don't have that situation. 
we don't have the situation where we've got King St. Louis. We don't have Edward the Confessor. We don't have Blessed Carl. We don't have King St. Ferdinand III of Spain. So, look, there is a lot to consider here. There's a lot to consider. I told you that we could have defunded Planned Parenthood, but we didn't. I told you that we could have stopped a lot of immorality, but we didn't. I told you that the um, the anti-family agenda has flourished under this administration. There's a lot for you to consider. And some of you are going to be mad at me because I don't go all the way and say you can't vote in this election because you can vote for neither person. And some of you are going to be mad at me because I said, if your conscience tells you to vote for Trump, vote for Trump. I'm not going to have friends either way at the conclusion of this video. And I'm okay with that because I don't do this for the likes or for the clicks or for anything else. If you find this video to be helpful to you, if you find it to be useful, I would appreciate it if you could like it. I would appreciate it if you could share it. And if you like this style, this this style of stuff that I'm working on right now, consider becoming a patron. But outside of that, this is my day job. I, I this isn't this doesn't provide food to my family. This doesn't uh, feed us. My life isn't contingent upon this, and the church's life is not contingent upon Donald Trump getting reelected. It's just not. The church has been guaranteed by Christ against the gates of hell. And she will prevail. Okay, I'm going to take your questions. Three questions from Jordan. Thank you for calling these, Jordan. Uh, let me see if I find them. Okay, uh, the first one. Daniel asks, what do you think about uh, TM, Taylor Marshall, thesis about Benedict XVI sending Vigano to USA? Do you think that he is still working for B16? Um, I'm not... F- I don't want to disappoint because I'm only going to answer three questions tonight. I'm not super familiar with, with what TM's thesis actually is, but I'm assuming that what you're saying is, is that the United States is super important to the future of the church and the future of the free world, so-called. And, um, and that, uh, B 16 sent him to the U S as one of his final acts of his papacy before he resigned because he knew that um, because he knew that uh, Archbishop Vigano was one of us and was going to flourish here. I guess that's what the theory. I'm I'm trying to piece it together. If that's not what the theory is, I'm sorry. I'm only responding to what I can tell from this comment. I think that's plausible. Look, I'm not here to shut down any other theory. I'm not here to tell you that Archbishop Vigano is in fact a CIA asset. I'm not here to tell you that if you if you watch this video and you're not convinced, then you're a bad person. And God help me if I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, I am open to being wrong. I don't want to be right about this. I'm merely, this is why I didn't say this is a theory. This is, I I called it a critical analysis because all I want us to do is to walk through this thought experiment here together and consider the facts for what they are, the publicly available information. And just look at, at the end of it, if you end up voting for Donald Trump, God bless you. I stand with you. If you end up not voting, I understand that, and I get that, okay? So that's kind of where I am on that. Uh, Second question. Matt D. asks, if Vigano isn't truly authentic, what would his motive be for saying all that he has said? Well, 
maybe Matt D joined the live stream too late, but uh, it could be as simple as Archbishop Vigano is fearful for his life and safety. He doesn't want to spend the rest of his life in a Vatican jail cell or be defrocked or whatever if the Vatican catches him. So it could be that in exchange for his protection here in the United States that um, that he has pledged his fealty to Steve Bannon and to Donald Trump and that that is why he has written all these incredibly patriotic prayers for uh, the open letter to President Trump, called him, um, t- spoken about him in messianic terms, which I think is inappropriate. Look, I'm just trying to explain the fact pattern. I'm trying to find a theory that explains the fact pattern. If my theory doesn't explain the fact pattern, I will throw it out. And you should throw it out. But the point of tonight in this video, ladies and gentlemen, is that we at least look at the fact pattern as objectively and as catholically as we can. We can't just get on board and um, and say, I'm on, I'm on team red and you're on team blue, so I'm the child of light and you're the child of darkness. It's not that simple. Life isn't that simple. It's just not like that. Um, okay, that's the that's two questions, Jordan. I'm hoping you have a third one for me. I'm scrolling. I hope you guys aren't waiting forever for... Okay, here it is. JMJ asks you to comment. I think Vigano means that if the left get the presidency at this time, there will be nothing to hold back what's coming because at least the NWO will be held back. Look, he might believe that, okay? And you might believe that. You might believe that Donald J. Trump is the one man standing between us and the oblivion. You might conclude after the summation of the last four years that the NWO and Donald Trump are distinct from each other. And I think that this is a good question. And I think that we could do an entire podcast about this. My only... What is coming to my mind right now? First, I'm seeing in my mind an image... of Donald Trump's third so-called wedding. And who is in attendance at his third so-called wedding? Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton. I don't know that you can find daylight in between the NWO and President Trump. And it pains me to say that. It pains me to say that because I want I, I, I go back to the very first point I made. We are star for leadership. We are wired. We are wired to believe in God and in people. We are wired to believe in leaders, in heroes. In fact, the very first video podcast that Joe and I ever did, and I and I think we did it live on Facebook, once we got the camera, was about heroes. We are hardwired to seek them, to cling to them. And that is why that is that's this. 
Mania. I call it V-mania. We are hardwired for heroes, ladies and gentlemen. And so I think it's easy for us. It's just, it's the easiest thing for us to do. To hope that Trump opposes the NWO. He had Epstein at his wedding. There are pictures of him with him. I'm not saying that Trump partook. He's not in any of the flight logs, thanks be to God. But all these people that said that he was going to go after the cabal... And I got really excited about this back in March. During the lockdowns, I thought, oh, he's going to get Tom Hanks. Did he? Did he? Did he get the cabal? You look at any of the objective facts, ladies and gentlemen, any of the statistics, funding to Planned Parenthood has gone up. If we can find an appropriation for the border wall out of the DOD budget, we can defund Planned Parenthood. We can. We can do that. If a president is so inclined to reappropriate funds from the defense budget of the United States in order to build a wall on the southern border, then that same president can reappropriate funds from Planned Parenthood into something else. Did he ever lock her up? Did he? They still chant that. They still chant that. So look, the question was a good one. JMJ asks about what? what isn't it possible that Archbishop Vigano has faith that Donald Trump is standing between us and the NWO? And my answer to you, ladies and gentlemen, is how likely is it? How likely is it that a billionaire, a billionaire who has Hillary Clinton attend his so-called third wedding is not a part of that system, is not plugged into that. How likely it? What are the chances? Look, the chances are greater than zero, right? I'm not saying that the probability is zero because mathematically it's not true. It has to be greater than zero. There is a mathematical probability that what you're saying, JMJ, is correct. I'm just asking you to consider how reasonable that conclusion is. I'm just asking you to to examine the facts. And my final exhortation to you before I sign off here, thank you for watching so much. I'm so glad that you did this. Please like and share the page. Consider becoming a patron. This was a very difficult thing for me to put together. It really was. It was it was mentally taxing and draining. I've been thinking about it for weeks. I've been running my theory by a lot of people. I can see people in the chat that I've actually talked talk to on the phone about this theory. I presented it to people in their living rooms. I've, I've, I've really been struggling with this. And I hope that you find some value in this video. Um, and and I hope that I hope that this helps you view the 2020 election through the lens of a Catholic, that the Catholic Church does not depend on the election of 2020, that her existence does not depend on the outcome of a U.S. presidential election, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the Catholic Church. 
But my final exhortation to you is something that we were told in the Marine Corps. Something that we had to uh, in, in inculcate into ourselves. You need to become comfortable being uncomfortable. Do not get comfortable wherever you are. Do not get comfortable living in the city that you're living in. Don't get comfortable with your parish. Don't get comfortable with your friends. My wife told me a perfect example of this right before I started this because I was running this whole thing by her and I really wanted to choose my words carefully and I wanted to deliver the right message. I hope I've done that. God forgive me if I haven't. And God, please forgive me if I'm wrong about all everything that I've told you. But one example, one specific example. In my city, a lot of the traditional men from uh, the fraternity parish and the institute parish and the adult masses and the society parish, all four ecumenical groups get together. And every Saturday we pray the rosary in front of the police station for our city. We want to demonstrate to those men in blue that we support them in putting down these riots and these lootings and the spike in violent crime that we're seeing as a result of all of this stuff. And you and I know exactly what's going on. You and I know who's funding it. You and I know which corrupt ideology is behind it. I'm not going to name those things because I told you the YouTube purge is coming on the 31st. But there's a caveat because nothing is simple in life. Nothing is simple in life. Those same men in blue that I support in putting down these riots, that I support in keeping our families safe, those same men in blue, one of which is my next door neighbor, They'll be the ones knocking on your door administering the vaccine. Those men will be the ones asking you why you're not wearing your muzzle. Those are the same men who are going to be your tormentors. So in the one sense, ladies and gentlemen, this is why we have to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We have to be tactical, we have to be shrewd, and it all falls under the cardinal virtue of prudence. Those men who are our protectors today will be our tormentors tomorrow. So we pray the rosary, at least I do, not only for their protection in battle against you-know-who, the cultists surrounding St. George Floyd, But I also pray for their souls that they not execute the unlawful orders which will be given to them, in my view, regardless of who wins. Regardless of who wins. Because even Trump, spoken about in messianic terms by Archbishop Vigano, has said that he will use the National Guard to distribute the vaccine. Ladies and gentlemen, FedEx works. They work pretty well. Ask Fred Sands. He's a Marine. 
founder of FedEx. FedEx is good enough, Mr. President. Thank you very much. I don't think you need to deploy the National Guard to make sure I take my MAGAVAX. All right? Think about that. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining this live stream. I hope that I have done this topic justice, and I hope that at the end of it, at a minimum, we just consider the facts of what's being presented to us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And nomine patris et filii, spiritus sancti. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Good night.